The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know you're in the right place. Our topic today, smart cities, smart streets, IoT to the rescue if you've been hiding under a rock. IoT is Internet of Things. Look it up. This is part two. We loved this topic so much a few months ago. We put together a, uh, a somebody who was on before, and we added a couple of new panelists, and we have a great topic for you today. So let me get started. You know the buzz on the street today is Hong Kong, beep, beep. No, I am. I'm not waxing Donna Summer because that's how she started one of her old disco songs. Let me tell you more. As cities around the world work hard to maintain, what do we all want? A safe environment, a clean environment, an inclusive urban environment. We want a good place to live. How are they doing it? They need innovation. They need tools. What for? Well, it's not very exciting. They need to do the mundane tasks that will keep our cities and our streets and our lives moving at a steady pace. What tools are they choosing? Well, let's look at IOT. How about real-time sensors everywhere? Let me give you a couple of examples. You may be surprised. Did you know that in some smart cities with smart streets, storm drains can keep themselves clear during heavy rains? Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful here on Long Island? And streetlights, when they need maintenance, when they need a bulb changed or however they work today, they can send a signal that they need maintenance, that they need a replacement. They don't have to wait for somebody to drive by and say, hey, Mr. Repair Person, street light at 42nd and Main is out. Would you please send a technician? The street lights are smart enough to send their own. Please help alert to the right places. And what about cabs, taxi cabs? They can now signal how they're weaving in and out of traffic to help maximize the traffic flow and minimize disruptions. Oh, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing. These are just a couple of examples. So I pose a question to all of you listening around the world. How smart is your city? If it's not smart enough, listen in and be inspired. We have three experts on the panel today. I'll just tell you their names and companies and what they do, and then we will start with their opening quotes. We're welcoming back one of our favorite guests, W. David Stephenson. We're such good friends. He lets me just call him David. He's the principal at Stephenson Strategies. We're also welcoming a newcomer today. It's Dina Dale, D-A-Y-A-L. She's the Global Vice President for Digital Enterprise Platform Group at SAP, a busy lady taking time out to join us. And rounding out the panel, we have a brave person, Saj Kumar at SAP. He's the Vice President of Digital Transformation and the Internet of Things, and he's brave because he's calling in from Singapore, where it's after 10 p.m., and we really appreciate this. So let me get started with David Stevenson's quote. David has selected for us today a quote from Jane Jacobs. I didn't know who she was, shame on me, and now I know. Jane Jacobs 
Gibbs, uh, who lived from 1916 to 2006, nice long life, was an American-Canadian journalist and author and an activist best known for, wait for it, her influence on urban studies. Her influential book, The Death Death and Life of Great American Cities, back in 1961, argued that urban renewal did not respect the needs of most city dwellers, and she introduced sociological concepts such as eyes on the street and social capital. Uh, Interestingly enough, I don't know if David knows this, Jane Jacobs was well known for organizing grassroots efforts to protect existing neighborhoods from slum clearance, and she was opposed to Robert Moses' plan to overhaul her neighborhood in Greenwich Village. I think she was arrested uh, at one point for being a part of a, yes, yeah, she was arrested in 1968 for inciting a crowd at a public hearing on the project. Here is the quote from Jane Jacobs. Cities have the capability of providing something for everybody, only because and only when they are created by everybody. David Stevenson, how are you? Hi, Bonnie. I'm on vacation, so I'm rested. <laughs> and funny, I'm about as far from an urban setting as you could get. But uh, You, you want to tell us where you are? Where are I'm you today? Lovely, skinny Atlas, New York, where we go every year to my wife's family uh, uh, place for vacation, so it uh, it immediately takes my blood pressure down at about 20 points. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Now, Scandiatalus, is that up near Utica? Where is that? Because I think um, I passed past. by there once. It's in the Finger Lakes. It's south okay. of and okay. just about as beautiful a place as you could possibly hope for. It's I'm amazing. very this glad. This place has been in my wife's family for 115 years now, if you can Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Well, we thank you for taking time out. I, I thank Saj Kumar, who's coming on in a few minutes, for calling in late in the evening from Singapore, and I'm so glad that you are taking time out of your vacation. But you love this topic. Well, be- this is what you do. So, David, tell me, Jane Jacobs, did you know she was arrested in 68 for inciting a riot, basically, at a public hearing? I did, in fact. And she was she was every bit um, a, uh, an activist as well as a great writer, and... Uh, uh, near and dear to us in Boston because one of the uh, things that she wrote about was the demolition of the West End in Boston, which was an old uh, neighborhood teeming with life, a lot of East Europeans, and uh, it was uh, an amazing place, but it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. So in one of the first waves of urban renewal, they uh, tore it all down. And my, the reason why I chose that in relationship to the IOT is, uh, a topic that I've mentioned a couple times before that I think really is such an exceptional aspect of the IOT that it no longer requires us to make bifurcated decisions on things. Things can be this and this. And so in the case of, uh, smart cities, Yes, you can and should have enlightened city administrations mm-hmm. doing things that only they can do on an official basis and investing. Um, equally important is private sector in, involvement. Mm-hmm. There's actually a smart cities alliance that's a nonprofit that's set up by uh, not cities, but a large number of vendors to cities who see mm-hmm. the opportunity for them of making businesses in the city 
operate more effectively. And then here's the part that unfortunately gets forgotten, and that is the role of the everyday person. It's one of the reasons why I mentioned on a a prior appearance on the show that uh, I've been uh, so uh, excited about this global movement called the Things Network, which is trying to Mm -hmm. create um, totally free Internet of Things uh, low WAN uh, data networks uh, citywide around the world. Amsterdam was the first to do it, and others are following suit. And the great thing about that is it allows people um, with no real resources but a good idea to uh, contribute to progress through smart cities. And so it really takes all three, city administration, the private sector, and grassroots activists as well. Thank you, David. And, and just one thing before I move on to Dina and, and her quote from Einstein. Uh, Jane Jacobs, I think, really hit the nail on the head here when she said it only works if it's created by everybody. So are the three three people, three sectors that you mentioned, those are the everybody she was talking about? That's right. Yep. That's right. Thank you. Great quote. I'm, I'm very pleased to know about her, and I, I wish she was still around. I think she'd be very happy to hear that she was used and quoted by you on the show. So, David, thank you very much. Shout out to Jane Jacobs. And by the way, interestingly enough, she doesn't have a handle on Twitter. She's got a hashtag. Did you know that? Wow. She's a hashtag. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I knew I'd come up with something that you didn't know. I had to do that. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. I tried. And welcoming now Dina Dale, and she is a global VP for Digital Enterprise Platform Group at SAP. And Dina has selected a quote from Albert Einstein. And interestingly enough, Einstein is quoted on about three of every five shows we have because he just said such good stuff. And this is one of his real quotes, not a misattribution. Uh, I'll just refresh everybody's memory. Einstein lived from 1879 to 1955, a German-born theoretical physicist. And the theory of relativity, come on, you all know that, one of the two pillars of modern physics. He's often shown with his wild and crazy hair flying everywhere as he is chalking on a blackboard his famous E equals MC squared equation, which turns out to be one of the world's most famous equations. That's right. And if you don't remember, E is energy of a physical system, M is the mass, and C is the speed of light in a vacuum. So energy equals mass multiplied by the speed of light squared. I hope you're all taking notes. Here's the quote Dina has selected. In the middle of every difficulty lies opportunity. Dina Dale, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Where are you calling from today, Dina? I am calling from Huntsville, Alabama. How's the weather down there? We're expecting a, uh, a real temperature, real feel of over 100 here in New York in the next two days. What's going on down there? Oh, it's high 90s. Definitely a lot of humidity and, uh, you know, passing storms throughout the day. So otherwise, there it's you not too bad. Go. Now, I think Albert Einstein would be very grateful that you're quoting him, even though he's quoted all the time here. This is a new quote for us, Dina. Nobody has quoted this one from Einstein, I don't think, ever on Game Changers. So bravo to you. So tell me, how does In the Middle of Every Difficulty Lies Opportunity relate to our topic today of smart cities, smart streets, Internet of Things, IoT to the rescue? Dina? So, yeah, I mean, one of the greatest things around just um, the, the quote is really, it's, you know, the opportunity that lies within everything being smart. So kind of similar to David's comment around, you know, all the things that are affected around population, cities, um, government agencies, et cetera, everything's starting to really become an opportunity from a smart city perspective. How can we become smarter as the population grows, as the crimes um, increase or urbanization takes in effect? 
cost of livings are rising. So when you start looking at it from the lens of all things smarter, how can we capitalize on those and environmental changes and um, people changes and instant gratification changes and see how can we glean additional new um, opportunities that lie ahead of us? And, you know, you think about Albert, Albert Einstein and just the genius he was. Mm-hmm. One of the other areas is we're already leveraging a lot of the things that speed and light and, and all the theories that he really put into action for us years ago you know, how is it affecting our technology today? And everything is based on, you know, just those fundamental theories that he put out there. So his, his um, legacy continues to live on, and a lot of research still continues to happen, you know, against the theories that he already put out there for us. Thank you, Dina. Very articulately explained. Question for you. The middle of every difficulty. Could we say to uh, Sir Einstein, I'm just going to I'm going to elevate him to knighthood, Dina. Could we say to him every difficulty, hey, Albert Einstein, were you talking about city streets? Were you talking about congestion? Were you talking about storm drains? Do you think that that would qualify in his eyes as the difficulty? And that's what we live with today in our cities, right, Dina? Absolutely, yeah. No, I think if you if you talk to the Albert Einstein of today in the 21st century, you know, and in the future, those those may not have been in his mind at the time. But if you look at it from today's age and the and the um, new technologies and everything that really sets us forth uh, as far as technology is concerned, people, you know, those are definitely uh, areas that we can um, look at it from a smart everything perspective and and definitely leverage the impact that he had. Thank you, Dina, and welcome. So happy to have you with us. I hope you're keeping cool. And now let's bring on our guest from the other side of the world. It's Saj Kumar, Vice President of Digital Transformation and IoT at SAP. And Saj has selected a quote. It's really a title. It's from Richard Feynman, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. Let me just read a little background. Richard Phillips Feynman, who lived from 1918 to 1988, was an American theoretical physicist. Here we've got another physicist known for his work, and I don't want to get too detailed here, but in the path integral formulation of quantum mechanics, the theory of quantum electrodynamics, and the physics of the superfluidity of supercooled liquid helium, as well as particle physics, for which he proposed the parton model. And what may be interesting to our listeners most of all is that during his lifetime, Richard Feynman became one of the best-known scientists in the world. He was ranked as one of the 10 greatest physicists of all time in a 1999 poll of 130 leading physicists worldwide by the British Journal of Physics World. So I'm just going to say welcome to Saj Kumar. There's plenty of room at the bottom. Very interesting quote. And I think it's a title of something. Saj, welcome. How are you? Not bad, Bonnie. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. You're staying awake. I'm going to ask in a few minutes when we go around the panel, what are you drinking? And I hope it's something caffeinated to keep you awake because it's after 10 o'clock there at night. So thank you. And is it it dark there in Singapore? And what's the weather? Uh, Singapore is always warm because we are close to the equator, so it doesn't get get, uh, very cold out here. So we have a steady temperature through the year. Interesting. Okay. So almost every other day. Okay, sounds like Florida in the summer, so tell me something. Richard Feynman, are you a follower? Are you a fan? Did anything I say in terms of all those deep scientific terminologies I just used, is, are you familiar with all of that? And uh, how did you pick this quote? There's no, plenty of room no, I'm not going to go bottom. that far. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorite uh, physicists. He's, uh, he's very well known for popularizing science, and uh, many of you probably remember him for... Um, his uh, role in the Rogers Commission, the Challenger disaster, when um, he illustrated very simply how uh, 
the, um, the fuel tanks would fail based on the technology they had. And um, he's well known to illustrate uh, physics through simple examples, and I think that's what made him very popular with, uh, with uh, both physicists and non-physicists and, and the common man. Interesting. So how does this quote apply to our topic today? We're talking smart cities, smart streets, all the issues of urban living, cities that are working really, really hard to use the available technology and innovations to make things better for all of us. So how, how, how would uh, Richard Feynman's statement, plenty of room at the bottom, where is the bottom? Is it the bottom of Wall Street? Is it the bottom of, of any no. particular city? Where is it? Uh, let's, let's go back to the talk. So this is a talk that uh, Richard Feynman gave in 1959 at the uh, California Institute of Technology. And um, he gave this talk, uh, 1959 was when um, Jack Kilby also invented or, or created the uh, integrated circuit at uh, Texas Instruments. So he started looking at, uh, at micromolecular level, atomic uh, level structures, and he looked at things and said, there's, there's lots of things that can be done at that level. And he looked at uh, tiny electrical motors, he looked at... Uh, uh, putting the entire 24 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica on the head of a pen. So he said, how can we miniaturize this? And he thinks, and at that time in 1959, he actually said there's plenty of room at the bottom and people were not even thinking about that level of atomic scale of uh, structures and, and, and creations. But when you look at the world today and when you look at smart cities and smart streets, the, the way this connects is we have now the ability to put very, very tiny sensors onto a variety of things. And nanotechnology has uh, come a long way since uh, his uh, talk way back then. And this is where I, I think you know, he was visionary in terms of coming up with the statement and trying to relate to what could be the future with nanotechnology when he spoke about this in 1959. And he also made a statement in that uh, seminar lecture when he said, in the year 2000, when they look back at this age, they will wonder why it was not until the year 1960 that anybody began seriously to move in this direction. So he actually predicted that this could be the big thing for the entire world, and we're seeing in the impact of this uh, today in, in all of the IoT, sensors, smart, smart cities, smart streets, uh, through the technology that's, that's been created. Thank you very much, Saj. I appreciate that. Nice to get acquainted with Richard Feynman. He also has never been quoted on our show, and, and maybe he will. And I'm noting down here in the information I looked up about him, it says he developed a widely used pictorial representation scheme for mathematical expressions governing the behavior of subatomic particles, which later became known as the Feynman diagram. So sounds like a very interesting and smart guy. Thank you very much. Let's circle back to David on vacation. And David, you know what I'm going to ask you. We already know where you are and you've been on the show so many times so i'd love to know what are you drinking today where all you're out there in paradise well you know bonnie it normally i'd be having my french roast but being on vacation we go with the flow and we've got about 30 people here simultaneously so it's whatever somebody has bought so i'm having some Folgers coffee today, <laughs> and uh, uh, and I don't have my wonderful uh, Game Changers uh, coffee mug with me, but uh, that's Aww. okay because my, my wife's family used to own Syracuse, China, so we've got a ton of cups. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you do, but I think the, the coffee break mug would have been very honored to be among the, the cups of the, the China. Thank that's you very so much. Nice bring it up. David, <laughs> David, tell me something. Are you putting anything in that Folgers? You got any cream or any uh, no, flavoring? I, or? I, I take it back. 
take it black. Um, yep. I'm with you, kid. I'm with you, kid. Bring it on. I'm assuming it's full-strength high test, yes? Well, <laughs> that's actually a topic of discussion this morning because um, I do a full uh, tablespoon for every cup, and uh, my wife's uh, cousin who uh, made it today does a teaspoon for every two cups, I think it is. And it's like, Ooh. oh, my God. <laughs> that's kind of thin. All right, we'll leave that yeah, one alone. So very, no, very thin. Learn, okay, you learn to compromise. I yeah. Okay, we'll go with one and a half. That's my compromise. Thank you very much, David. Exactly. Dina, talk to me. What are you drinking today to stay cool? I am drinking a nice cup of coffee made from the local Marriott Courtyard um, with some cream and sugar in it. Normally at home, I would be uh, drinking some tea, uh, chai with uh, ginger and cardamom, but you know, when in a hotel, you just got to do the hotel coffee, so. There you go. Well, it sounds like you've doctored it up to make it palatable, so I'm, I'm glad. We got it. Got to be clever. What do they say? Love the one you're with? Yeah, that's right. That's we'll drink right. that coffee. There you go. Thank you, Dina. Saj, what are you drinking at 10, 1021 p.m. in Singapore to keep awake for us? Normally at this time of the night, it could be a single malt, but unfortunately I'm in the office. It's been a long day, so it's a double espresso. <laughs> and double espresso, that sounds very, very good. And is there a particular brand? Uh, the Nespresso machine. Uh, I have mine. I don't use it as much as I used to, but when I do, I just love it. I love a very short espresso or whatever I've got, and I put a little bit of, I have these wonderful, I think they're collectible mugs. It's it's a round, very short mug, very heavy glass with a white depiction of the world globe all the way around it, and these come from a 1970s, David may remember this, 1970s promotion by Nestle and Nescafe. I think they used to give them away and now they're collectible. I got my first one at a garage sale and I loved it so much I went and bought a bunch more on eBay and I put a little bit of 1% milk into it and I microwaved the milk for about 24-25 seconds just to get the edge off the chill just to make it warm. Then I use the Nespresso and have the coffee go in and then I just, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Does that sound good to you, Saj? It does. <laughs> Thank you. Go look up the mugs. You'll see them. It's like the World Globe uh, Nescafe mug from the 70s. They're beautiful, by the way. And by the way, I have to tell Dina and Saj, and David knows this, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. And this is another double header. We did, we're doing seven live shows this week. So I'm just drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a green straw. First of all, I'm out of straws, and that's the only one left. But green straw, and that could be for the monetization of all of these innovations in the cities and just <laughs> using everything more effective. I'm really punting here, kids. So we're going to take a quick break. We are talking a very lively panel here all over the world. David Stevenson, Dina Dale, and Saj Kumar. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. A shout-out to Ira Burke at SAP. I think he's on his way to Manila today. Ira is the inter internal sponsor of this series, Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. And we're going to take a quick break, as I said, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. 75 seconds. You can start counting right now. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
the pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. We are back talking about a very popular topic, smart cities, smart streets. Is this coming to a city near you? Is it already there? Are you aware of it? Are you part of it? Are you doing what Jane Jacobs said in one of her famous quotes, which is cities have the capability of providing something for everybody only because and only when they are created by everybody. Are you standing up, speaking up, sitting up and saying, hey, this is what I want for my city? And that's, a, I think, a very clever segue into our opening for the formal roundtable portion of our show. W. David Stephenson, known to us as David, uh, has an interesting comment here in his notes to me. I'm just going to read the comment, then we'll have David start, and then we will invite Dina Dale and Saj Kumar to chime in with their POV. So David says... There is growing global unease, and we'll just talk about Brexit as just dropping that one uh, current political question mark in there. There's growing global unease that the general public, especially lower income people, have not really improved their lives because of technology. So, David, let's talk about this in the cities. You you have a you wrote something, uh, and you said the IoT could really do this, especially in cities. And this was one of the most clicked on pieces you've ever written. So, why don't you start this off for us, David Stevenson? Sure, Bonnie. Yeah, I did a piece the day after Brexit, and it's the single most clicked piece I have ever written. It was amazing. In fact, uh, I have a little tool that allows me to track uh, when somebody has opened or reopened uh, a piece of email I sent, and I sent uh, a copy of it to a European. If you can imagine, the interest would be great in Europe after the Brexit vote. Um, uh, a um, uh, version of this to them, uh, and it still gets clicked uh, 20 to 50 times a day. So I think I really uh, struck a nerve with that. The um, issue I was raising was that often the uh, uh, lower and middle-income groups have been, uh, unfortunately, the victims of technological progress in terms of losing their jobs and things. No, that sort. Okay. They haven't seen a tremendous amount of uh, economic benefit from it. And I really think that the smart cities movement is an area where this can really change. Uh, make no mistake about it, we are becoming a uh, urbanized uh, human race, and this is a, a phenomenon that's happening all over the world, and we are going to have to become more efficient 
for our city simply to survive. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it could go far beyond that. And actually, one of the interesting things uh, about that is to start with transportation, because that's yes. the great equalizer. Somebody mm-hmm. in their limo gets stuck in traffic the same way the poor um, uh, mother uh, going to her job at McDonald's does. Mm-hmm. And so it really does cut across all boundaries. And I think that's going to be um, one of the most remarkable things. In fact, um, uh, la- about two weeks ago, the Obama administration announced the results of its smart cities uh, competition for mid-level cities for transportation systems, and uh, Columbus, Ohio, won it. And interestingly enough, you know, <laughs> you might think on the surface this is a very unlikely combination, but one of the factors that was cited in Columbus being awarded the prize was that part of their plan for a smart transportation system in Columbus was that it would be a way of cutting a uh, really unconscionably high infant mortality rate in the city by making it much easier for mothers of children who were at risk to be able to get to the doctors. Phenomenal. Who would have thought of something, a public health issue, being so closely related to transportation? But that's one of the great things about smart cities and the IoT, it all is about sharing. And uh, a question that I always ask about the IoT, who else could use this data? Because if you start sharing the data uh, and don't uh, insist on keeping it to yourself, you're going to find synergies that nobody, including yourself, ever would have thought of. It's almost sort of mystical, I think. Very, very interesting. And you said transportation is the great equalizer. And I think we can take that a step farther, David. Tell me if I'm, I'm wrong on this one. And please do, uh, that it's not just transportation. It's efficient transportation. It's reasonably exactly. priced transportation. Oh, yeah. So you talk about yeah. that mother going to her job at McDonald's versus yeah. some, um, a high, uh, uh, grand poobah. I was going to say mucky muck. Some grand poobah sitting in, and that's, a, that's an equalizing term. I'm not, not picking on anybody sitting in, in their limo and saying, damn, traffic slow. Bob, we're not going to get to our meeting on time. We'll have to do it remotely. Poor me. And and if you think about that, it's that efficient ability to keep traffic moving so everybody gets to their destination on time, regardless of the vehicle. Thank you for that. Dina Dale, love to get your point of view on this in terms of equalizing and, and the role of IoT in all of this. What do you think? Yeah, so when you think about transportation as one facet of data points, right, I think going back to the point that David was making, there's a lot of data points that we have available to us that technically weren't possible before. So you think about the people and GPS and tracking, ways and all the different applications that are collecting data on where people are, how long is it taking me to get from point A to point B, um, uh, you know, you look at the the health benefits of how long am I sitting, you know, outside or in a car, all those things start coming together, um, not just from a transportation perspective, of, but uh, how I live, how I get from point A to point B, energy consumption, communications. You've got networks that are smarter than ever before. And so when you look at it from the lens of transportation and just that single facet, it really impacts all other areas that, you know, could be impactful from a, 
a user, a person, a um, building, or any type of um, work, play, live, and really be able to look at the lens of uh, people differently and, and the efficiencies of how we can get from point A to point B, living healthier lives, as well as being able to capitalize on every market, not just the low-income, high-income. It, it really affects everyone. Thank you, Dina. Do you think that the person sitting on that bus or in that limo is aware of IoT, is aware that there are sensors that are hopefully in a smart city helping somebody say that red light is too short or that green light is too long or we got to get rid of that detour or we got to reroute traffic because we see it as a bunch of potholes, everybody's getting stuck, we got to make sure we put up some digital signs. Do you think people are aware of what's happening behind the scenes and do they even care, Dina? You know, that's an interesting question. I get asked a lot, what is IoT? What do I do for a living? And, and, and why is it so important? And most people that I talk to around big data, IoT, or any of those types of topics are really somewhat unaware. Um, we did a conference here in Atlanta just this past week, and it was around IoT and just sort of how smart data and everything's becoming smarter. And it was about 600 people from probably the top um, companies in Atlanta from a technology association perspective. And a lot of folks were quite um, intrigued, and these are, you know, it's a technology sector, uh, quite intrigued at the, as to how, how and what they learned um, in that summit itself. And I think people are starting to understand it. I just don't know if people really grasp that data is being collected, data is being transferred to different places, the security, the safety, you know, do mm-hmm. I want my toaster or my coffee machine to be smart? I don't know, right? There's there's a good and a bad that comes with it, you know, from a uh, from a home perspective. So I think in the eyes of corporations, um, people are seeing it. People are seeing value in the high uh, in the eyes of just our normal consumer, our everyday lives. It's really, a big topic that most people are still trying to figure out: where does it impact them, and how? Um, another quick snippet was, you know, IEEE, uh, you know, it's an organization that focuses mm-hmm. specifically on smart cities, and I got to spend some time in the German embassy in Washington, D.C., and it was with academia, lots of companies, vendors, et cetera, and one of the things that came up was, you know, though everything's becoming smarter, including people and the devices that they use, at what point is enough enough? And, and so there, there's an interesting mm-hmm. sort of, you know, take on companies versus, you know, the individuals that it impacts. Thank you. Dina, that's an important question that comes up on so many of our programs, the privacy issue. And just a a quick note, we have uh, Gray Scott, who is a noted futurist, comes on our Future of the Future show and and other series we have. And he made a very provocative statement saying that at some point in the not-so-distant future, privacy will be illegal. So let's just let's just put that on let's just put that in the toaster and, and, and take a slice, right? And then, then there are EU rules, forget me, I just heard that EU has some rules uh, or what's left of EU has some rules about I want to be forgotten. Don't share my name, my email address, my phone number. I, I have to do a show on that soon. Thank you, Dina. Very insightful. Saj Kumar, talk to me. What's going on in Singapore with smart cities in terms of what, what David said? Uh, what about this great equalizer of transportation for all that's efficient and on time and smart streets. What's your perspective? Uh, Cities, I think, are growing at a tremendous pace. Uh, Particularly in Singapore, we've actually doubled our population in the last uh, 30 years. We've grown from about uh, 2.5 million people to about 5.5 million people today. And uh, the challenge, I think, uh, most of the cities like Singapore or city-states like Singapore have is how do you cope up with the transportation systems that were designed way back uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, how do you cope with this uh, uh, rapid increase in population? 
and and I think this is one of the challenges that you know many nations are facing, many cities are facing, and that's uh, so transportation is one area, security is one area, healthcare is one area, and I think it all goes back to what uh, if you go back centuries from when uh, we moved from an agriculture-based economy to a manufacturing economy when people started moving from farmlands to cities to concentrate around textile mills, around steel making, around other forms of manufacturing. And you saw the city started concentrating, and then um, jobs were created. And the problem with what you saw with Brexit, et cetera, is exactly that. It's, it's uh, basically people concentrating in cities, and the city is not coping. And, of course, uh, with manufacturing moving away, you also have other kind of social problems as well. So I think this is where I think cities need to reinvent themselves, not just with uh, IoT and smart things and smarter, mm-hmm. uh, smart streets, but it's also about making sure that you also get to the next level in terms of providing uh, jobs through uh, better manufacturing technology, technologies, getting to what we call the next industrial revolution. And I think that's something that uh, probably is a topic for a later time as well. Saj, very appreciated. Uh, nice to know what's going on on the other side of the world because when I obviously my worldview is New York, that's about it. But question for you, going back to Jane Jacobs' quote, cities are only need to provide something for everybody. Is there a vocalness, a vocal quality of people in Singapore saying, we want better transportation, we are crowded, the roads are slow, we want our cities to be smart? Are they speaking up, speaking out? Is there a, a, a grassroots approach to this, or is this something that leaders are just saying, dang, those streets are pretty clogged, we better do something? Where's it coming from? No, absolutely, and I think um, social media has obviously uh, got a big role to play in this, right? People uh, start taking pictures, tweeting about trains breaking down, and uh, immediately people in power get to know about this, there's a lot of noise, so uh, definitely I think over the last few years you've seen issues in transportation where uh, ministers are waking up and they're making a lot of changes. In fact, there are changes even today in the papers about you know, one of the um, uh, government uh, holding companies trying to uh, uh, privatize, or sorry, take back uh, the, one of the transportation companies here uh, to manage them better. So I, I think these are, these are changes that we're seeing all the time, and um, the people are obviously voicing the protests through various forms, and, um, and people are taking notice here. Yeah. Thank you very much. I wanted to know about that grassroots. And it, it, that's an interesting, also an interesting idea that social media is helping the voice of the people get to the leaders. So, David, since this was your topic, I'm going to ask you to just very briefly comment on what Dina and Saj added, and then I'm going to quickly move to something from Dina's notes. So, David, quick wrap-up on that one? Sure. Um, I think what, one of the important uh, things about this is it, a lot of it, the impetus is coming from uh, the East, uh, as Saj was saying, um, in both India and China now, they are building smart cities from the ground up at this point, that places that are being designed. Now, it's one thing to try to retrofit our older cities, but to be able to uh, do that right from the get-go and build in all of this technology particularly the sensors, which are the critical component. They are now building sensors into light poles, into parking spaces, you name it. And when you do that, it just offers tremendous possibility because you don't, even though you typically in a case like that, you have a goal in mind when you do the individual installation. Once they're in place, 
they can be used in ways that you never would have thought of before. And so it can be an amazing way of adding additional functionality over time. Thank you, David. Good wrap up there. Dina, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about, uh, I'm looking at your notes about going back to aging infrastructure. Let's see where we want to go. Let's talk about the cost savings, Dina. I think that would be interesting because we're talking about things that sound expensive, don't they? IoT and sensors and dashboards and figuring out who's going where and what's happening. And you've got to have some kind of a data scientist processing all this analytics. And then you probably need some predictive to say, where should we reroute traffic and how many buses that we need in this route. There's a cost involved. What what are the budgetary issues? So Dina says we can serve people more effectively, support energy consumption, environmental factors are scalable, a connected car could reduce emissions in the city. How do cities that want to be smart deal with the cost savings? Dina, love to hear your introduction to this topic, and then we'll ask your co-panelists to share their ideas. Yeah, so from a cost perspective, it's like anything else in the world, right? It, it, when it first comes out, it's, it, it's got a price tag that comes with it. Um, the cost of sensors have come down exponentially. The cost of technology to enable it has come down exponentially. And so from a cost perspective, it really is around the sensors, what's been censored today. And, and what people um, don't realize is there's a lot of things that have been censored for years. Um, you know, any machinery, equipment, assets, elevators, trains, there's sensors in all of them. And so what we're really doing is looking at it from a let's take that data and let's look at that data in a complete different lens. Let's look at that data and marry it with geospatial data, marry it with big data and social media data. And how can we look at the data in a whole different way, predict capabilities versus getting my oil change because the Jiffy Loop sticker tells me to at 40,000 miles or this date. And so Things are getting smarter, and so when we look at it from a cost perspective, yes, there is an initial cost that comes um, into the sensors and collecting the data and housing the data, but what we're really seeing is the cost savings. So how is that data giving me the ability to not do my maintenance on a time series perspective, but more on a precision or predictive capability perspective, so uh, lowering the cost of maintenance. Um, also looking at it from the cost of um, operations, right? So if we automate things and predict things from happening in anomalies, how can I increase my uptime and sell more products? So, yes, initial cost is always there. However, when you look at it from a cost savings perspective and, and new opportunities and business outcomes that we're starting to see, you know, things are getting smarter. Therefore, I can predict when it's going to fail. Things are getting smarter. Therefore, I can create new business models as a service versus selling products. And so it's become more of a, I would say, a new business outcome versus just a cost, um, cost play for us. Very interesting. New business outcomes. Now, just a quick question before we invite Saj and David to chime in on this, Dina. Is this something, is there a place that cities go to learn how to do this right? Is there a, a training center? Gee, Bob, we're here in uh, Podunk, Illinois, and we hear that we can have a smart city. Let's give it a try. Well, Mel, how are we going to get the money raised? Well, Bob, how are we going to save money? Well, gee, I hear there's a business model. I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm just trying to say, where do they find out about putting this all together? Is there a handbook, Dina? How do cities do it right from the get-go with what you so beautifully termed the new business models for city infrastructure. Where do they go? Yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, you know, partners and companies that are that are speaking of smart cities and being able to, you know, sort of uh, 
look at the lens of smart cities in a whole different way. And, and, and you know, what we always say is start, uh, think big, but start small, right? So there, there's a lot of opportunities for cities and infrastructure and, 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 you know, municipalities to really become smarter, safer, and secure. And so from that lens, you look at it from the efficiency perspective, there's there's companies out there. Is there a single handbook that says here's how to do it and how? Um, no, there's not. You know, it's still a very growing area. It, it, we're learning a lot day by day, every company, city, um, area that we speak to, there's a new growing infrastructure that ends up having to be built out. But I think over the course of the next couple of years, you're really going to start seeing more of a repeatable play versus just we're going to start from scratch with every city, every country. Um, you know, the IEEE is trying to do some of those standards uh, to be able to have a sort of, you know, to your point, a handbook. Um, but I think there's still going to be, you know, a, a long journey ahead of us that, that gets us there. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, indulging or entertaining my question. It just came up. I was thinking, where, where, how do you do this? Saj Kumar, talk to us. What do you think about the, the idea of new business models and how to mitigate the costs or how to make them pay off in the long run for cities that might be cash-strapped? I think uh, Dina touched upon uh, uh, the right word. It's, it's business it's outcomes for citizens, outcomes for the people who live in these cities. Uh, it's it's no point putting all these millions of sensors out on the streets if it doesn't drive a, an outcome for me as a citizen. So having all these cameras or having all the sensors on on buses, etc. It it needs to mean that uh, I get I get a bus on time, I get a train on time. There's no breakdown, and all of this at at the same uh, the cost uh, in terms of buying a ticket as it was before without raising the price for or a cost of living for the citizens. And I think that's what uh, cities need to do in terms of looking at uh, the infrastructure and looking at what kind of outcomes you want to drive and, and, then, and then look at the sensor infrastructure in terms of what needs to be done to drive those outcomes. Uh, in terms of, I think, um, is there a blue book for them to go and look at what, sh- what makes up a, a smart city? I don't think there is one. And, and um, cities are learning from each other. There are cities who have done some pretty innovative things in, in Asia, uh, and uh, there's some cities that have started up uh, as greenfield cities, and if they had the luxury of, of course, designing everything from scratch, so they uh, they could do a lot of uh, pretty innovative things. And there will also be some very old cities who probably have to uh, kind of rejig their infrastructure to to take advantage of uh, the technology that's available today. Uh, it's a, so it's a mixed model in terms of how you would go about doing these things. So you have cities who need to change some of what they have, and you also have some new cities who need to um, redesign their city uh, when 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 they when they build it from scratch. Thank you very much, David. I know you have something to say about this. Do we have David? <coughs> David Stevenson, come back to us. Stop drinking your coffee. We need you, I'm David. Back. Okay, muted it there for a second, Bonnie. Didn't want That's any for background noises. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I honestly think that I was there at the um, at the beginning of all of this, and due to some very smart choices in the District of Columbia eight years ago, I think that's really set the tone for it. And what happened was I was working for Vivek Kundra, who at that point was the chief technical officer for the District of Columbia, and later, because of his performance there, became the first uh, chief information officer of the United States. And Vivek and Mayor Fenty had this great idea that they were going to, this was, um, bear in mind, um, when apps were sort of a, an oddity rather than a, 
the household world, where they were going to release on a real-time basis. That's the critical thing. You want to have it on a real-time basis rather than releasing data on a historical basis. Um, about 40 to 50 major, including right up to criminal uh, data, on um, what was happening in the District of Columbia, just about every aspect of life. They released that, and then they held a contest. When was the last time you heard a government holding a contest, for goodness sake? And uh, it was open to absolutely anybody, and it, the idea was to design open source. That's the critical thing, open source apps to capitalize on it. And because those were open source apps, it meant that any other city, as well as people in the District of Columbia, who after they saw the apps thought, hey, that's good, but have you thought about this? And tweak it a little bit. And some of the apps that came out of that first contest eight years ago are still circulating around the globe in terms of, like, uh, on-time schedules for the uh, transit systems, not, not, not what's printed, but what's really going to happen because of the sensors that are on the subway cars and the trains. And, um, and ever since then, I, I had a, uh, a piece I put on my blog yesterday about today's show, and I had a link in there to all of the national, and there are, I just couldn't remember the name of the international one, but there, there are international, uh, national, uh, statewide uh, as well, uh, smart cities alliances all around the globe, and they are sharing ideas on how to do this. And it's also one of the ways they're bringing that cost also is through public-private collaboration. So, for example, in Boston, we've got this wonderful thing where Waze, you know, division of Google, uh, mm -hmm. is sharing its real-time traffic data with the city of Boston. So if uh, some, and, and of course, Waze originates with individual drivers reporting on mm -hmm. conditions. And right. so if they report on somebody being double parked, presto changeo, in a couple seconds, there is a um, a cop on a bicycle ah. to that um, <laughs> double-parked car. Isn't that great? So you've got that is a great thing because it is public, private, and individual collaboration, and that's what I, makes it work. And it's I like all that. revolving around the data. So that's there how we go. bring it down the cost. <laughs> Thank you, David. And I, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure I cover a couple of very key points here from Saj's notes. Saj and I had a great introduction call last week, and, and he mentioned a couple of things. Cities are embarking on smart city platforms for three different reasons. One is visionary, two is opportunistic, and three is adapting. Saj, I'm going to give you two minutes to just cover this. I know it's not a lot of time, but I want to make sure we get this out for our audience, and then we're going to go quickly to the predictions round. And I'll have you give your prediction first while you're talking. So why don't you combine these three elements with uh, with a 60-second prediction on what's going to happen in the next few years with smart cities. Saj, go ahead. Absolutely. So when we look at cities around the world, I think you know, the first one that we see are uh, the visionary cities. So you have uh, city officials or, or, or uh, uh, governments trying to uh, launch the city as a smart connected city. And um, so there are examples like Songdo in Korea, which is uh, a city that started as a greenfield smart connected city by laying out the entire infrastructure. The, the homes were all connected by fiber. They had uh, 
telepresence in each home for uh, communication and also for uh, long-distance learning. Then we have the um, opportunistic cities. These are the cities that are scaling up for large events like the Olympics or the World Cup. And they're trying mm-hmm. to leverage technology and prepare the city for the large influx of tourists and athletes and others. So this is an occasion also for these cities to kind of showcase the city and maybe drive future investments into the city. Tokyo is a good example of this as they prepare for the 2020 Summer Olympics. The third one are the adapting cities. These are cities uh, where infrastructure was built many decades ago, and you have this uh, huge growth in population, and um, they're kind of straining uh, the limits in terms of what can be done. So they're now trying to use technology to make sure that they uh, can improve the facilities, uh, whether it's security, whether it's transportation, whether it's healthcare. All of these issues can be addressed uh, through um, Internet of Things. And we have many examples of this. Singapore is an example where we're using sensors and technology, for instance, in public transportation to predict when, for instance, uh, trains would fail, uh, improve the whole uh, maintenance aspect of trains so you have higher uptime. So these are examples of, I think, how uh, cities uh, are embarking on on smart connected uh, cities throughout the world, the visionary cities, the opportunistic cities, and the adapting cities. Thank you, Saj. Very well put. And now I'm going to give you, oh my goodness, just barely 60 seconds. Why don't you give us your prediction? I like the year 2020. You can look ahead in the future and tell me what will change, what will be breaking news about smart cities. Let's go for 2020, not that far away. Saj, 60 seconds, then we'll go quickly with David and then with Dina, and then we got to wrap up. Saj, predictions, please. So I was going to go as far as 2054, uh, like you saw in the minority okay. report, where, where you could uh, predict crime. <laughs> but no, coming back to reality, I think 2020 to 2030, uh, I think you know, we're going to see um, huge improvements in uh, security. And I think this is one of the biggest uh, issues that cities are facing today. So you're going to have uh, cameras being used to detect people. So you have a lot of uh, facial recognition technology that's, uh, that's uh, growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, the second is the whole transportation infrastructure. So whether it's, uh, of course, using sensors to predict uh, when uh, when uh, buses or trains would fail. But I think more importantly, we're moving to an era where we're going to see more and more autonomous vehicles. Uh, we've already seen autonomous trains in, in, in many cities. But beyond that, I think we're going to start seeing autonomous vehicles. And that's actually going to greatly improve the, uh, the quality of traffic, uh, lower accidents um, uh, for, uh, for people living in the cities. And the third, of course, is healthcare, and I think this is a key aspect because you have uh, the population influx and uh, not enough hospitals and doctors to take care of people, especially with a with a growing aging population in many cities. So, how do you take care of them? How do you have remote monitoring facilities? How do you uh, make sure that the people who have diabetes are taking medicines? How do you monitor blood sugar levels remotely? I think these are the three areas where we're going to see significant improvements uh, by uh, by 2020. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, David Stephenson. Quickly, oh, I got just barely 60 seconds. Why don't you predict? No problem, Bonnie. I think that, um, sadly, this is going to be driven largely by the largest cities in the world, which almost without exception um, lie on coastal um, areas and are have the most at risk from global warming. And... Um, Smart cities are going to be a critical part of the response to that. In fact, we're going to be hosting in Boston next year. It was in uh, Beijing last year. The uh, the uh, uh, mayors of uh, those leading cities to try to come up with collaborative ways to cope with this unprecedented danger of uh, flooding 
on a consistent basis and, and sea level rise. And I think that's going to be a critical driver for smart cities. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated. Dina Dale, go ahead. 60 seconds. Talk to me. What do you see in the crystal ball? Yeah, so by 2020, I think every or almost every city is going to have some facet of IoT or smart city component to it, whether it impacts the environment, population, safety, people, the movement of people, or just making lives easier. I think there's going to be a component in, in almost every city that's going to capitalize on the fact that IoT is here to stay sensor data and big data and social media data is definitely growing in, in, in terabytes, you know, across the world. And so really from a 2020 perspective, I think everyone's going to have some component of IoT, whether it's a cost savings, making lives easier, smarter, um, or more efficient, there's going to be a component to every city. I think I just heard the title of a new song there, Dina. You mentioned IoT is here to stay. Do you remember Rock and Roll is here to stay? I think we have to redo that song. I'm going to go get the rights, and you and I will, well, I won't sing it. You can. You have a nicer voice. Anyway, thank you so much, W. David Stephenson, Dina Dale, Saj Kumar. Very lively conversation. I appreciate the thought leadership and all of your insights. Uh, very articulate. I learned a lot. I know our audience did. And by the way, somebody is tweeting that we are having reggae music on SAP Radio right now that's a different SAP radio and it's not the real deal so we are all business talk all the time and this is what we're here for so want to thank my three very very interesting panelists shout out again to Ira Burke who sponsors this series happy travels to Manila Ira and here's my call to action and Dina and Saj and David how much more appropriate could this be here's my usual call to action fasten your seatbelt especially if you're on a bus in a smart city it might be going fast what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. We'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with another edition of Changing the Game with HR talking about talent analytics. Aha. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.